I'm Emily Hockley. I'm uh, the commissioning editor for literature at Cambridge University Press. Um, and I'm here at Anne Hathaway's cottage in Stratford-upon-Avon with Catherine Shale, the author of Imagining Shakespeare's Wife, um, which looks at uh, the cultural history of Anne Hathaway uh, and creative reimaginings of Anne over the last um, several centuries. So, Catherine, um, in the book you, you talk really um, fascinatingly about the desire to reimagine Anne. Um, where, where do you think this desire comes from and, and what, what particularly has grabbed the, um, both the popular and the, and the scholarly imagination about Anne Hathaway? Well, I think Anne offers a unique mode of access to Shakespeare. So she's part of his private life, mm. part of his emotional life, his family life. They had three children together. She's buried next to him in Holy Trinity Church. So there's a story somewhere um, from her point of view about what he was really like as a man. And I think that desire to find the real Shakespeare um, has animated uh, the search for Anne for centuries. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and humanizing the, uh, the genius. Of, yes. Of the... the real man behind yeah. the plays. Yeah. And... Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your motivation to write the book. Where, where did that come from and what was the kind of the genesis of it? Right, so the genesis um, was uh, actually happened in the classroom. So I was teaching a biography of Shakespeare alongside a novel about Shakespeare and my students and I were fascinated with how close the biography was to the novel in terms mm. of use of fiction. Mm. And so I started to think about why is Anne constructed in particular ways? What are the building blocks that are used to make up her life? Mm. Um, how are those building blocks put together, selectively used, omitted, expanded, and whatnot? So um, the book actually has two parts, the first half establishing Anne, so the ideas to set out for the reader what are the pieces that we know about her life. The second part, Imagining Anne, um, covers as many of the Annes as I could fit into the book. Mm -hmm. and, and thinking about those imagined Annes, do you, um, there's obviously a lot of creative um, and imaginative uh, stimulus and freedom where you, you've got a historical character who doesn't actually have uh, many certifiable facts about about their life in the archive. Uh, do, do you think that um, there's uh, any kind of responsibility that um, either creative artists or, or biographers have to Anne to, to represent her with, with some kind of veracity or, or to yeah. Right, right. Well, I do. I mean, she's not a literary character. You know, this mm -hmm. was a real person mm -hmm. who had a life and shared her life with Shakespeare in some way. So I think there should be a sense of responsibility either to overtly say to the reader, this is a work of fiction. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one Anne of many. Um, and not to pass the Anne that's constructed off as the real Anne. So I think, I mean, it's impossible to know which Anne is the real Anne in the book, but I think, um, to my mind, the more fictional, the more fantastic, the better, because if, if you can't know, then I think you should at least signal to the reader that this is one Anne of many. Yeah, yeah, rather than claiming right. authenticity that, right. that can't be found. Right, yeah. right. And. Um, and if you if you were granted uh, a couple of uh, watertight facts about Anne, uh, answers to, to questions which which maybe were prompted by by the writing of the book, what what would you like to know? I'd really like to know if she was literate or not. Mm -hmm. I think that question 
um, animates a lot of the imaginary Anne's. So if she was literate, you know, then she, of course she could have read her famous husband's plays. Um, she could have enjoyed them together with him. She would have had some um, part in his literary life. So if she's not literate, um, it, it's more difficult to imagine a companionship between the two of them because most of his life, um, from what we know, was based on a literary life. Mm -mm. And um, when, when you were looking at the, the imaginary Anne's, did, did any one of them particularly stand out to you as, uh, as being especially appealing? Did you have a favorite Anne yourself? Several favorite Anne's. Mm. <laughs> um, one of my favorites is Arliss Ryan's 2010 novel, The Secret Confessions of Anne Shakespeare. Um, it's, it's a real fantasy, but the, the novel starts out on Anne's deathbed and she's talking to granddaughter Elizabeth and she tells Elizabeth that the real story is that she, is that Anne was the author of Shakespeare's plays. So she, um, he leaves her right after she has um, the twins, Hamnet and Judith, for his playwriting life in London. It never quite gets off the ground. Um, she's angry and then she turns to her revenge. So she follows him to London. She becomes the playwright that he never was. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and at yeah. one point in the novel, so he, Shakespeare becomes the caregiver of their children while oh, she's, right, she's the working mother. <laughs> and out of frustration at one point she tells him to hire a laundress, eat at a tavern, and learn to use a dustpan. <laughs> so Wonderful. <laughs> Will Shakespeare, the yeah. house husband. Great. Yeah. So that, that's, uh, yeah, that's an amazing kind of trajectory. I think starting off with Mary Cowden Clark in, in uh, the 19th century of a, right. of a sort of female-friendly Shakespeare. But. Right. Another <laughs> yeah. fun one is Harriet Beecher Stowe's story, mm. the true story of Mrs. Shakespeare's life from mm -hmm. 1870. Um, and in that tale, Anne is the ultimate faithful wife because she carries Shakespeare's dark secret to her grave. Okay. And, and only in her last moments does she reveal that um, the way Shakespeare's become a famous and successful playwright is that he invites his rival playwrights back here to Stratford, murders them, and buries them under the mulberry tree at New Place. Great. So, <laughs> and has been his accomplice, not necessarily helping to carry out the murders, but hiding his secret Wonderful. Um, for all of her life. <laughs> um, so we're at Anne Hathaway's cottage now. Um, can, can you tell us a bit more about the, the role that uh, the cottage and uh, the people who've, who've lived there and worked there have, have played in, in the afterlife of Anne Hathaway? Sure. So this particular space has been really important in Anne's afterlife, and it, it was actually owned by her family until the end of the 19th century. And Mary Baker, the last descendant of the Hathaway family um, here at the cottage, led tours through most of the 19th century. Um, and they were personal tours for people like Mark Twain, Ulysses S. Grant, mm -hmm. Oliver Wendell Holmes, Charles yeah. Dickens. Yeah. Um, and she would personally take guests through the cottage, offering them a drink from the old well. They could sit on the famous courting settle and imagine Great. Shakespeare courting them. Yeah. Um, and each guest would, live, would leave with a flower as a souvenir. So the fact that this space has survived in pretty much the same configuration as it was in Shakespeare's day has been really influential um, in Anne's life. Mm, it's fascinating. The, the, uh, 
the role of the material objects and surroundings in, in the afterlife. I, I liked your uh, little anecdote about the Shakespeare pork pie in the 19th century. Right. That they, <laughs> <laughs> if you were a really special guest, sell. Mary yeah. Baker would invite you to spend the night. Great. And you'd get to have a meal cooked yeah. in the same space where Shakespeare had his own meals. There's no evidence of that. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually no evidence Shakespeare ever sit, uh, there's actually no evidence that Shakespeare ever set foot in this space at all. Mm, mm. Great. I don't know whether the cafe is are still doing such promotional deals, yeah. but we can take a look <laughs> later, perhaps. And uh, what what do you hope that readers will take away from from the book? What what are your hopes for the the kind of impact or influence or questions it might provoke? Right. Well, I hope the sense of uncertainty about Shakespeare's life, you know, that we really don't know what his wife was like, we don't know what his married life was like, that it's all uh, piecing together the surviving evidence, but mm. also injecting a fairly large amount of fiction. Mm. So mm -hmm. the, the sense of, of hopeful possibility, though, yeah. you know, that there's a lot of space for more imaginary Anne's, yeah. you know, and that we probably will never know what the real Anne was like. Mm. Uh, so sitting in the, in the grounds of Anne Hathaway's cottage in Stratford-upon-Avon, this isn't, of course, the only Anne Hathaway cottage that uh, listeners might want to visit. There, there are a couple of others if they're not, not based in the UK. Have, have you been to any yourself? Well, there are several yeah. other Anne Hathaway cottages around the world. Yeah. So there's one in Washington Springs, South Dakota, okay. which I think is the only thatched building in that state. Excellent. You can get married there and they have May Day <laughs> celebrations and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there's one in Asheville, North Carolina, that's part of the Grove Park Inn. I've actually been to that one. Mm. It doesn't look anything like the real Anne okay. Hathaway's cottage really at all. <laughs> um, but it's, the, it's built to the exact specifications for what that's worth. Oh, yeah. um, there's another one in Stanton, Virginia, mm. that used to be a bed and breakfast, and now it's just a tea room. Okay, oh yeah, um, you, you talk about the, uh, the elopement packages. Yep. You used people... to be able to elope there, and now I think <laughs> oh. you can just have tea. It's oh, been sold, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and there's another one in uh, Wisconsin that you can mm. rent as a vacation oh, space. Right. Oh, lovely. Wow. Um, so Catherine, tell us a bit more about how uh, feminism has or, or hasn't influenced uh, portrayals of Anne over the, the last few decades. What sort of influence do you think it's, it's had in Anne's afterlife? Right. Well, Anne has been very reflective of ideas about women throughout the last couple centuries. So as interest in women has increased and interest in women in Shakespeare's plays, has increased, so too has interest in Anne. So she's really been reflective of ideas about women. So in the later 19th century, um, with the idea of Shakespeare as a family man, Anne is the perfect accompaniment to making Shakespeare domestic and moral um, and a responsible family man. Um, the much later Anne's, you know, in the last um, couple of decades are much more feminist, more independent-minded, um, often the author of the plays themselves, you know, the real brains behind the Shakespeare marriage. Mm. And uh, what's, what's next for you? What's the next project on the horizon? Now you've kind of opened up Anne, Anne for us and, uh, and her, her cultural afterlife. What, what's your next project that's bubbling away? 
Well, I'm thinking about a companion volume on The Dark Lady, so this would be the alternative to Anne, um, and there's quite a bit about The Dark Lady, you know, quite a bit of novels and other fictional works about The Dark Lady, so this would explore what's the alternative to Anne and how has this alternative woman been constructed and for what ends. Mm, fascinating. Well, we'll look forward to reading that soon. Catherine, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you and talking with you today. We'll let you get off to your, your launch event. I know you've got lots of, uh, lots of activity for the rest of the day as it's uh, official publication day. Thank you so much.